Hello there, Mario here. Welcome to a very special bonus episode of the Mario Rosenstock podcast. And I'm just out of studio, our podcast studio, um, where I had a great interview with the Irish Times rugby writer, uh, Jerry Thornley. And uh, Jerry was great because I wanted to have a long interview about his life in journalism and rugby and all that sort of stuff. And that's what we did. And we talked about him meeting Muhammad Ali and, uh, you know, all that sort of stuff and his great trips around the world and anecdotes about Ronan O'Gara. He wrote Ronan O'Gara's, he ghost wrote Ronan O'Gara's book. Um, But first of all, what I wanted to do was I wanted to catch him and just ask him a few predictions, what the Irish rugby team might be going into the weekend uh, for the game against Wales and who might win the Six Nations and that whole atmosphere around the Six Nations and how optimistic Irish rugby are uh, at the moment. Um, because we are in a great place. And so here is a bonus podcast of Jerry Thornley talking about Irish rugby coming up to the beginning of that wonderful thing we know as the Six Nations. Uh, Jerry, are you like a kid in a candy shop at this time of year? It's 2nd of February. Um, what happened? Does, does something happen to your heart at this time of year? Does it, does it miss a beat? Does it start? Do you get excited? Ah, uh, yeah. Six Nations is the best. And particularly with fans back, because the last couple of years have been pretty grim without them. I mean, it was great getting parking 20 yards up the road from the Viva Stadium or the RDS or wherever else. Really was unusual. Could rock up half an hour before kickoff, but it was a bloody soulless experience. It really was going inside and hearing the players shouting and, you know, getting more and more animated and applauding each other and appealing for this and that. And then just this empty stadium around you, this cavernous sound. It 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 wasn't the way the game was meant to be played at all. There's something... I was saying to Patrick, Patrick isn't a real rugby uh, man now. And I was explaining to him that there's something extremely special about the Six Nations. It's not just the tradition. It's the time of year that it falls on as well. It's a time that, for example, we get to see our friends maybe for the first time since Christmas. The seasons have turned. It's the first time that we may get out with a lot of people. It's maybe the first time a few of us will go to a pub. And it's yep. the first time, of course, we see the, the the new iteration of the Irish team and what it would look like. Um, so there is something as a sporting occasion, but as a sporting sort of slash social occasion, that's something quite magical about it, Jerry. There really is. And there's no other rugby tournament in the world, certainly on an annual basis, maybe apart from the World Cup, that has this coming together of rival fans to the, the same extent. It doesn't happen in the Rugby Championship. It happens a little bit to a lesser extent in the, in the Heineken Champions Cup. But it's, you know, there'll be 8,000 Welsh fans in town this weekend. I mean, that's that's the first time we've had that in two years. It's... um a great coming together people. You're right. So many people I know, look, you won't be able to see all your, your mates that you want to see on Saturday night for the first time in ages. I think particularly so after what we've all been through as well in the last while, everybody getting their end of January paychecks, you know, the lifting of restrictions. It just couldn't be set up better. And you're right. All this talk about a global calendar, Mario, I wouldn't, fine, can we have a global cal- calendar, but don't move the Six Nations. <laughs> Whatever you do, don't move that to later in the year. Just, it, it, it's got this slot all to itself and uh, it's better for that and coming in winter, February, March. It's just ideal. Yeah, it's not just the... It's Yeah, you're right. It's this special time of year, but it's so special that it's not just us that love it. It's the Southern Hemisphere tuning in their droves uh, to the Six Nations because they're they're aware of how brilliant it is as well. Rarely, Jerry has... I think... Look, I love rugby and rarely have Irish people been so optimistic Um we forget for better or for worse, we forget that we just we've never been so optimistic almost as we are right now with the kind of the way the Irish team is sitting. Would that be fair to say? Yeah, I think so. Um, even more so than going into the slam campaign of 2018 or 2009, for that matter, 
What a November. You know, eight wins in a row. The manner of the victory over the All Blacks, as well as the way they beat Argentina and Japan, the, the brand of attacking rugby that they played. Um, you've got these brilliant new young breed of um, athletic forwards coming through, like Andrew Porter, Roland Keller. Caelan Dars is yeah. just going to be a sensational player. Um, Porter was unlucky not to make the um, Lions would have done, but for injury. Keller was next cab in the rank. I think Doris would have made the Lions, but for his um, concussion issues at the start of uh, last year, which sidelined him for a few months. Um, but Porter going back to loose head is almost like a new player in the in the pack. Keller's emergence. You've got Dan Sheen on the bench. Ty Byrne playing out of his skin. James Ryan there. Doris, as I said, Conan a Lion. Josh van der Fleer, possibly the most underrated player in Ireland. And then, you know, the, the backs as they are with all playing so well and Johnny still pulling the strings brilliantly at 10, Jameson Gibson Park's emergence and just the, the variety of the attacking game that just, they and the way they were next moment focused against the All Blacks, no matter what went wrong, when tries weren't scored, when the All Blacks broke out and scored, when they missed chance, they just kept coming back again and again and again and eventually pulled clear to win by two scores and weren't flattered by the win and a third win in five meetings with the All Blacks, this is this is ridiculous. I mean, I watched the recording of the game last night and it was a New Zealand version of it. And the commentators call it a great rivalry. Believe me when I tell oh, you on all wow. the trips that I used to go into New Zealand in the 90s, it was not a great rivalry. You slipped out the back door, the tradesman's entrance, and you made your way to the airport and you flew home and you were glad to get out of there. Oh, that's great. I mean, I, as a rugby man yourself, you must have loved hearing that from a New Zealander to actually genuinely describe it as a great rivalry. I couldn't get over it. I wrote it down. A great rivalry, quote unquote. Tony Johnson, the commentator, and Justin Marshall, very effusive about the way Ireland. I remember when Ireland used to go to the old New Zealand quite a lot in the nineties, and there was never really that many much in the way of positive stories to write. And there were quite a few beatings, a couple, as well as a couple of narrow losses. But you know, it was it was always pretty grim. And I always remember interviewing All Blacks players and, you know, you'd ask them about the Ireland and it's oh, they, they talk about the heart and the passion and Brian O'Driscoll, who's the only player they knew. Now they know loads of Irish players, you know, they just know them yeah. by name because they demand to be known. So it's a new, it's an altogether new level of respect. <laughs> I wonder what the consequence might be next July when the All Blacks play their first games of the year, having been in cold storage for eight months and Ireland yeah. first up, served up three times. I think it could be quite different. Yeah, well, the thing is, can we go down to Australia? Can we go down to New Zealand and win at least one test? Maybe yeah. win one test because that's I'd what England did. In two, that's what England did in two thousand and three. Before they, when they won the World Cup, they went down to New Zealand just before that, and they beat them in the in the in uh, down in their patch. And you have to go down and beat them. Maybe not at Eden Park, where, which is the holy ground, but but beat them in one of the other tests. But just when you come to New Zealand and you talk about the hammerings we used to take, I remember even the tone of those commentators because I remember a famous game in 1992 I can't remember where it was it was in New Zealand and um, it was one where Ireland came quite close and the commentator was there he said oh look what's happening here Vinnie Cunningham Vinnie Cunningham oh he goes the Irish guy goes under the posts this is hilarious Vinnie Cunningham the Irish they were laughing at the Irish scoring a try which actually put us in the lead or something and you're just going they're laughing when we went into the lead going oh look at the little leprechauns are putting it up to us Vinnie Cunningham scored two tries that day and Ireland nearly won. What happened a week later? The All Blacks put 50 on us. <laughs> People yeah, said we yeah, should only have played one match. You reminded me of funny. another one. Yeah. You remind me of another one. There was another one where uh, the New Zealand commentator was going, oh, Mark McCall, this plucky little Irish centre, trucks it all up, five foot eight inches. Wow, what a brave player. Well, I don't know what's happened there, but Frank Bunce is after scoring at the other end. <laughs> <laughs> oh... 
Oh, the Irish. Yeah, they're great. Oh, I love the Irish. You know what? And they'd be talking about pints of Guinness and everything, going back to Dublin, how they love visiting Dublin. Oh, there's Buncey through for another try. That's 73-12. Oh, oh, God, it was so pathetic. And then to see us give them a good hiding um, here, because it was, it was a different hiding as well, because this time we actually, we kind of actually comprehensively beat them this time rather than just playing to the limit of our potential like the, the previous time we played almost to the limit of Joe Schmidt's potential to beat them this time we actually kind of handily beat them yep 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 deservedly beat them there was no quibbles about it that being said they were dangerous and right up till the last 10 minutes they were still within a score and remember they had a disallowed try which would have put them a point in front with about nine minutes to go for a slightly forward pass they're just so dangerous that even when you pummel them for 75 minutes they can have three great moments in those five minutes and beat you I think they've actually started to live a little bit too much on their own reputation and they've forgotten how to actually construct more dominant winning performances because they just believe their own hype that they can score tries out of anywhere. But I think they'll be, you've got to make allowances for the fact that they were three months travelling and living in bubbles as well. Correct, like, correct. Oh, that's understood. Put yeah. us in that position going down there next summer if we were in three months and travelling in bubbles. You look at the English cricket team in Australia, out in their feet, months and months and months living in bubbles with no prep matches. What do people expect? Um, yeah. I think you've got to bear that in mind. And a week later, of course, France beat them, what was it, 40-29 or something, but beat yeah. them, 25, I think, beat them even better, arguably. So they were out in their feet a little bit. And at the same time, um, even though we are going into this with optimism and Ireland are playing well and we've beaten the New Zealanders three times out of the last five, at the same time, people are using the E word. And I mean by that is evolve, that Ireland must evolve and will evolve. Do you expect Ireland to evolve and bring it on even further? Are we in the mood to do that? Or is that the, is that the mindset of this team now, Jerry, to evolve and bring it on even a step further? Well, in this last two weeks of listening to Johnny Sexton and other players who've been put up in Zoom calls in front of us, it's probably mm. been the word they've used the most, actually, is that very word evolve. Because, oh, okay. because they're talking about like the way they varied it up, that all the animation off the ball, the decoy runners, options of going flat, options of pulling out the back once or maybe twice, getting to the edges, all these things. They're talking about little triggers where they can read each other even better and make these moves click even more so. So I think, yeah, they are going to try and evolve much more so. And it's You've sensed that Mike Cat and Andy Farrell and the leading players are building something quite special in terms of the attacking brand of rugby they're trying to play. It's um, incredibly accurate passing, really short, Orlan accurate passing. They didn't risk too many offloads against the All Blacks, although they'd done a lot against Japan the week before, because they're the they're the kings of the intercept. I think I think the Wallabies coughed up five intercept tries in their three meetings with them this last year, or maybe it was even more. And so they didn't they didn't overcook that, it didn't gild the lily with too many offloads. They were just so accurate in terms of their passing. And New Zealand's defence was heroic. But I think it would be very interesting to see whether that game does evolve now. This they, they, that's yeah. what they're talking about all the time. And uh yeah, I, I think there is more in this team for sure. Because mm, that yeah. you would imagine was the first stepping stone towards what they're trying to do. Yeah, it's wonderful to watch. Um, Jerry, just for people who don't know rugby that well and who might be listening to my podcast, um, this every year every year in the Six Nations is slightly different. We either play two games away and three games at home or we play two games at home and three games away. And this year is what's called the even year. And the even year is where we play uh, England and France away. And that's always regarded as the tough year. The odd year is the easier. And we play three games at home. Um, will, you, will you take us through the championship very quickly? And um, wh- who's our first game? And how might it go? And then who do we go to next? And how might the championship pan out for us? 
generally in even years, Ireland are expected to win their three home games and not expected to win either of their away games. And very often it has panned out like that, 3-0-2. Three wins, two defeats. Ireland start off mm. with Wales at home, who are the reigning champions, riddled with injuries, but uh, were fourth favourites last year, fourth favourites again this year, and came within the last play in Paris of winning a Grand Slam. The Welsh are extraordinary mm. because there's no correlation between the form of their regions, who are quite poor mm. again this year, no qualifiers to the Heineken Cup, last 16, all four Irish provinces made it, but it seems not to matter. When they come into the Welsh camp, they become different players. They'll still feel a very strong team. They'll still be dangerous. And they're the kind of team that if they get momentum at all in the Six Nations, they win their first two game, one or two games, there's just no stopping them. They can go off after that. So it's a, a hugely pivotal game because Ireland yeah. lost in their opening day in Cardiff last year when Peter Romani got red Cardiff and it set them back. Then they got a raft of injuries on the eve of the French game. It's the same... Um, itinerary this time in that France are second up in Paris. Okay. They play Italy Paris. this coming Sunday and France are the favourites. And France, France have England and Ireland at and home. young and athletic and, and, and progressive. It's the best French team in a decade. Fabien Galtier has got a great coaching staff around him. They've got a, the world-class best player in the world, Antoine Dupont, scrum half. They've got Romain Entomac at out half. They've got It's just ridiculous. There was a depth chart. If it was everybody's fourth teams, France would walk away with this tournament yeah. because they've got so many options and you know, I feel they need this more than anybody because they haven't won a title in 11 years, which is a ridiculously barren period for the French. But for the first time, the French Federation, the clubs are aligned. And Bernard Laporte has put a big stay in this because they are the World Cup hosts in 2023. But to go into that World Cup, I think they're going to need at least one title to break that barren run. And you would have thought the way the fixtures have fallen with them having Italy up first on Sunday and then Ireland at home, followed by England at home later in the tournament, they would be favourites to do it. If Ireland gets something out of that game, then, then there's a fortnight's break before they host Italy. Italy have lost their last 32 games in a row in this tournament. That sequence doesn't look like ending anytime soon, Mario. You'd imagine everybody would be filling their boots against Italy is looking for five points, a bonus point win. And yep. then um, Ireland go to Twickenham, which is always a tough game against England. Yep. England are a little bit ravaged by injuries at the moment as well. They finished fifth last year. They don't quite have their power game at the moment because... Eddie Jones is not picking either of the Vunapolo brothers and Manu Tuolagi at the moment is injured. I would safely say every opposition coach would be glad that those three aren't playing for England. They won't be able to bully teams quite to the same extent without those three. Although Tuolagi, you wouldn't know, might be back by the time Ireland come calling. And then, finally, Ireland are at home to Scotland on the last weekend of the tournament. Ooh, reminds me of the Triple Crown in 82. <laughs> well, this is the thing. This is the thing. Ireland, the last time Ireland won a title in Dublin was 85 when they beat England. Yeah. And you think of the, the the last four in the Grand Slam in 09, Grand Slam in 2018, the two titles in 2014 and 15. All away. Two in Cardiff, one in Twickenham yeah. and one in Paris. Yeah. It would be amazing to think that Ireland might have a title to play for at home for a chain oh, on the last wow. weekend. Yeah. <laughs> Giving that's the God, what a kick in the arse that is to COVID. That would be fantastic. <laughs> no, it really would be goodbye. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Brilliant. All right, Jerry, uh, pick the team for us. Uh, what, pick the team for us quickly. What do you think? This would be prediction now, of course. So yeah. Go okay. through it. What do you think it might be? Well, it's been announced at lunchtime tomorrow. You'd imagine the front row pretty much picks itself. Um, Andrew Porter, Roman Keller, Tyke Furlan, a fit, I presume he is. Second row, James Ryan and Ian Henderson are the go-to combo, but they haven't played in about seven and nine weeks apiece. And whereas Tyke Byrne has been sensational from for Munster, so I think Byrne starts probably with James Ryan. Back row would seem to pick itself the length of back row of Caelan Doris, Jack Conan and Josh van der Fleer. Jemison Gibson Park with his brand of high-tempo rugby seems to be now the first-choice scrum half with Johnny Sexton, obviously. 
because it's a 50-50 call at 12, I think, between Bundyaki and Robbie Henshaw. Again, watching that game last night, I couldn't get over how well Bundyaki played against New Zealand. He was there for the big win against England, the Six Nations as well. I'd call say that probably, I'd probably go Henshaw. And get- James Hume is playing fantastic rugby up north for Ulster, but he's got a problem. His name is Gary Ringrose, who's playing as well as ever. Hugo Keenan is possibly the first name in the team sheet at fullback. Um, so dependable. An extraordinary so player. A player oh. to me, I mean, I'm, uh, it was for my untrained eye, Jerry. a player to me for my layman's eye who didn't look like anything. And yet nope. he, seems to have, he seems to have some sort of uh, international pedigree. He seems to have legs. He seems yep. to have pace that you can't actually see on television. He seems to actually have pace, but he seems to have footballing skills that are a top level, top yep. grade. Yep. Excellent under the high ball. Good defender. Yep. Uh, hits the line really well. And one thing else he does, he gives really good try scoring passes. You think of that long pass for James Lowe for that first try against the All Blacks from Bundyaki's long pass before that. He's a superb passer of both hands. Yeah, he's just he's just taken to it. Like he just he, he all always in lockdown. I think he won his first eleven caps in front of empty stadia. So he, he must be loving this now with crowds back last November and again this time. The one issue is in the wing, because James Lowe's injured as well as Jacob Stockdale, means no left foot a kicker. Um, I think Andrew Conway played so well against the All Blacks he has to start in one wing and then it's yep. between Keith Earls maybe Jordan Larmer an outside bet Matt Hansen held a gun to my head I'd say they might go Larmer with Earls on the bench or vice versa Ooh, okay well, we'll have a look at that now right and see how the Irish Times are doing with their inside moles um, so James Lowe you mentioned there he's injured James Lowe is the one guy he lives near me um, uh, Jerry and he's the one guy uh, he often sits in the restaurant in a little cafe that I go to near me and I always overhear, just, just to make sure I overhear what he's having for breakfast, and I just go, I'll have whatever he's having. Um, <laughs> because, because whatever James Lowe's having is good for me. So, um, and then call it, uh, 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 Jerry, this is the long-term call, mid-term call. Uh, how could you see the, let's see, what, what would your predictions be for the, for the Six Nations Championship this year? Um, but, but reluctantly make fa- France favourites to win it. If I had to pick a favourite, I'd pick France. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if Ireland could at least finish second and maybe win the title, finish above England. Mm. Wales and Scotland vying for fourth and then Italy taking up their customary position at the base. And that's it. Thanks to Jerry Thornley for a lovely interview, the vast majority of which you can hear in the next couple of weeks um, during the Six Nations, um, where Jerry talks about a lot more about rugby all different sides of rugby and uh, his life as well in a really interesting interview and I hope you'll find that as well Um, thanks to Curry's for their ongoing support thanks to you of course as always for listening I hope you enjoyed that and I hope you enjoy uh, our next podcast which will be with the two Norries very interesting characters we had a fantastic conversation and I really would urge you to hear that one take care